0: Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio Interactive live chat room at TNTradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The latest information and analysis of major events from around the world. You're listening to Compass with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
1: Hello and welcome to the Global News Hour. On today's show, a judge orders the uncovering of at least 180 names linked to Jeffrey Epstein. The Australian Health Practitioners Regulatory Association or Authority issues an updated set of conditions, returning some rights to doctors to be doctors again. And Donald Trump vows to head to the Supreme Court over a Colorado court excluding him from the primary ballot. This is Compass with Jason Olborn. First today though, Israeli President Yitzhak Herzog has said his country is ready for another humanitarian pause and additional humanitarian aid in order to enable the release of hostages. Herzog, whose public role is largely ceremonial, made the remarks at a gathering of ambassadors, according to his office, and the responsibility lies fully with Hamas leader Yahya Sinwa and the leadership of Hamas, he said. Here is Herzog speaking, followed by comment from journalist Bernard Smith. We can reiterate the fact that Israel is ready for another humanitarian pause and additional humanitarian aid in order to enable the release of hostages. And the uh, the responsibility lies fully with uh, Sinwar and the leadership of Hamas.
2: Yes, it's a significant statement from Herzog, the first really sort of public indication that momentum is moving towards uh, the idea of some sort of pause or ceasefire. The question will be whether it is just that, a pause, a humanitarian pause, as the Israelis would call it, or a full Ceasefire And Netanyahu's meeting about for between 15 and 19 families later this evening here in Tel Aviv, families of captives. They say they asked for this meeting a week ago, and they've only just got it now. And they asked for it a week ago. That was before those three captives were shot dead accidentally by two Israeli soldiers. So the momentum does seem to be moving um, that way. We've also, we also know there's been meetings between the Qataris, the Israelis and the Americans in a couple of meetings in Europe uh, since Friday and on Monday and we understand that there's going to be a meeting in Cairo in the coming days with Hamas representatives and that'll be the first time there's been that sort of a meeting since uh, the collapse of the first ceasefire more than a couple of weeks ago.
1: Attacks by Yemen's Iran-aligned Houthi militants on ships in the Red Sea disrupting maritime trade and prompting us efforts to build a coalition to deal with the threat as freight firms reroute around the Cape of Good Hope to avoid the Suez Canal. The Houthi Group said it launched a drone attack on two cargo vessels in the area on Monday, the latest in a series of missile and drone strikes on shipping, which it says are a response to Israel's assault on the Gaza Strip. Miles kagans a retired US Army Colonel and senior fellow at the New Lines Institute, who served as a spokesman for the US-led coalition in Iraq and Syria, tried to explain these plans to build the coalition to defend Shipping lines in the region, despite not having support apart from Bahrain.
0: Well, as we've seen, there have been differing views. And of course, Yemen has announced that they are conducting these military aggressions, attacks, uh, kidnapping of, of commercial shipping vessels as a response to Israel's war in Gaza. There's a parallel effort happening at the United Nations led by. Uh, U.S. Ambassador to the UN Linda Thomas Greenfield, where she is attempting to rally uh, nations at the UN to condemn Yemen and its attacks on these commercial shipping vessels. So, over time, I anticipate we will see this international coalition grow as Yemen continues its aggression. Each country will make its own announcements of of what ships it will bring. Of course, the United States has. Fleets all across the world and the most advanced ships. Uh, but there are times where we'll see other countries bring in ships that, for instance, can help with logistics, or some that will help with communications and sophisticated radar systems, or sometimes as simple as escorts of the commercial vehicles that are still vessels that are still going through the Red Sea. Uh, as this process evolves, there's going to be decisions that this international coalition will have. One of them, as you mentioned, is what happens if Yemen makes an attack on a Canadian vessel? What is the response? Is Does the United States and the, the shipping, uh, the naval coalition, do they follow rules of NATO? Are there separate rules? Are there different rules of engagement? And then, of course, these ships have the right to defend themselves and they're attempting to keep the free flow of commerce and freedom of navigation, but will they attack into Yemen to destroy Yemen's capability.
1: So it turns out that Kamala Harris has announced that she will be embarking on a nationwide reproductive freedoms tour in support of abortion. Of course she is. This tour will kick off in Wisconsin, a battleground state, on January 22nd, which marks the 51st anniversary of the Supreme Court's original decision in Roe v. Wade. Across our nation, there is a full-on attack on a woman's fundamental freedom to make decisions about her own body, Harris wrote in a post on X, the platform that we used to know as Twitter, along with the video announcement. In the new year, I'll be traveling to the country to organize, build community and fight back because when we fight, we win, she said. Biden campaign communications director Michael Tyler told CNN that abortion will be the central pillar of the campaign moving forward. She will host events that highlight the harm caused by the abortion bans while sharing stories of those who have been impacted. Harris's office told CNN, adding that she will go on the offensive against extremists who support a national abortion ban.
3: Hey, everyone. So I have some news. We're heading back out on the road. This time we are going to start our fight for our reproductive freedoms tour. We're going to start in Wisconsin. We're going to be organizing. We're going to be gathering. We're going to be building coalition and community to fight for reproductive freedom. There is a full-on attack in our country against the ability of people to just make decisions about their own body and their life. So join me. I will see you soon and take care.
1: Oh look, it's my body, my choice season again. Who can remember when those rights were suspended for three years to force compliance with a faulty gene therapy and I'll have more to say in the final segment of today's bulletin on that subject. Meanwhile Donald Trump can't appear on the 2024 presidential primary ballot in Colorado because of his actions surrounding the January 6th riot at the US Capitol. The state's highest court ruled Tuesday. The first of its kind decision sided with a group of Colorado voters who argued in a lawsuit that the Republican frontrunner was disqualified under a clause in the 14th amendment. Enacted after the civil war the provision disqualifies from public office, those who swore to defend the Constitution and then engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the US. President Trump incited and encouraged the use of violence and lawless action to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power, the Colorado Supreme Court said in a four to three ruling. A spokesman for Trump called the ruling completely flawed and said the campaign would swiftly appeal to the US Supreme Court. And former Liberal Minister Linda Reynolds will apply for freezing orders against Brittany Higgins after her former staffer flew out of the country this week to start a new life in France with her fiance, David Shiraz. Senator Reynolds, who is suing both Higgins and Shiraz for defamation, will ask the Supreme Court of Western Australia for the orders, which restrain a party to a case from selling or moving assets while the legal action is still in process. Higgins has reportedly bought her first home in a small village in the south of France, following her $2.4 million compensation settlement with the Commonwealth. the Couple said goodbye to family and friends at Brisbane International Airport on Monday night, flying to Singapore before boarding a plane and a connecting flight to France, where it is reported Higgins plans to study and learn the language. A Liberal Party staffer accuses a colleague of rape inside Parliament House. The next Labour government pays her $2.4 million compensation before trial. The trial is abandoned due to jury misconduct. Prosecutors did not seek a second trial, citing concerns for Higgins' mental health. Liberal staffer, dressed in white in honour of suffragettes, moves to a tiny village in France into the house she bought with the proceeds. Something is smelling fishy with this story. And several NATO members states have boots on the ground in the Ukraine conflict. Russian Defence Minister Sergei Shoigu has claimed. Western military personnel are operating certain weapons systems, he alleged, and that hundreds of the US-led military bloc satellites are providing surveillance data to Kiev. Speaking at a meeting of Defence Ministry officials on Tuesday, where President Vladimir Putin was also present, Shoigu stated that NATO service members are directly operating air defence systems, tactical ballistic missiles, and multiple launch rocket systems in Ukraine. He cited radio intercepts, featuring English and Polish speakers. According to the minister, Western officers are also playing an active role in preparing Ukrainian military operations, as well as training troops, both in their home countries and in Ukraine. Russian officials have repeatedly warned that ever deepening Western involvement in the conflict unnecessarily increases the chances of a direct military confrontation between NATO and Moscow. The Russian defense chief went on to claim that more than 5,000 foreign fighters have been killed since hostilities broke out in February of 2022, with 1,427 Polish, 466 US and 344 UK nationals among them. Workers in the Ukrainian Armed Forces interest of 410 NATO military and dual-purpose space devices, Shoigu estimated. He also lauded Russia's defence industry for ramping up production in the past 18 months and helping prevent ammunition shortages on the front lines. Despite the sanctions, we are manufacturing more high-tech weaponry than NATO countries, Shoigu continued. The minister concluded by stating that as of today, the Russian army is the best prepared and most combat ready in the world, armed with cutting edge weapons tested in combat. Putin insisted at the same meeting that the West's efforts to inflict a strategic defeat on Russia have failed. Speaking to the Ukrainian branch of US state broadcaster Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty on Friday, Kiev's former ambassador to the UK, Vadim Pristako, claimed that Britain is developing plans to potentially deploy troops to Ukraine. And as we move on with the show, a federal judge in New York has ruled to unseal the documents that contain the identifying information of an estimated 180 people connected in some manner to Jeffrey Epstein. The convicted pedophile died in 2019 in a New York jail. and The documents are related to the case that put him there. Judge Loretta Presker of the Southern District of New York explained her reasoning in the 51-page order on Monday, noting that previous hearings have established that the names would not remain redacted indefinitely. Any of the people impacted by the order have 14 days to appeal the decision, after which the lawyers must confer, prepare the documents for unsealing pursuant to this order, and post the documents on the docket, Presker said. The Trove is expected to identify some of Epstein's associates and victims, as well as investigators and journalists who covered the case. Some of the names will remain sealed, including minor victims and at least one person wrongly identified as a sexual predator by a reporter. The documents in question are related to the 2015 lawsuit by Virginia Jeffrey, who accused Epstein and his associate Ghislaine Maxwell of sexually trafficking her when she was 17 years of age. The case was settled in 2017, with most of the evidence and depositions remaining under seal. A lawsuit by activist Mike Cernovich resulted in their declassification in July of 2019, at which point Epstein was arrested on federal sex trafficking charges. The former financier, who long socialised with the rich and powerful, and flew them to his private Caribbean island on a private jet known as Lolita Express, was found dead in a Manhattan jail cell on August the 10th in 2019, with the cause of death listed officially as suicide by hand. Maxwell went into hiding afterwards but was located by the FBI in July of 2020 and arrested. She was convicted in December of 2021 on five sex trafficking charges and sentenced to 20 years in prison. Five years of probation and three quarters of a million dollars in fines. The identities of Epstein's clients and the logs of who all travelled on the Low Leader Express remain under seal still. A Republican senator on the Judiciary Committee tried to subpoena them last month, but the motion was blocked by Senator Dick Durbin, the Illinois Democrat in charge of the committee. And in related news, Philadelphia police say Kendall Stevens, 37, was arrested Monday after an investigation into sexual assaults from September of this year. She'd been charged with two counts of rape, indecent assault, endangering the welfare of a child, corruption of minors, and related charges. Stevens is the same person who survived a brutal hate crime in her Point Breeze home on August 24, 2020, in which the attacker, Timesha Waring, pleaded guilty to aggravated assault and conspiracy. According to the DA, Waring was sentenced to 11.5 to 23 months of house arrest with electronic monitoring with no parole eligibility until 18 months of home confinement, as well as 120 hours of community service, a letter of apology to Stevens and completion of a court monitored anger management program. The details in the allegations against Stevens though are developing as the investigation of the case is ongoing. This is how Fox Local News reported the story.
4: Activists arrested on charges involving children. 37-year-old Kendall Stevens facing charges of rape and voluntary assault and corruption of minors. Stevens' arrest comes two years after they were the victim of a hate crime. and Her attacker pled guilty to aggravated assault. Now, Stevens' bail is set at $500,000.
1: Meanwhile, US Senator Ben Cardin has said he's angry and disappointed after one of his staffers was reportedly dismissed for participating in the filming of a graphic sex tape inside a Senate hearing room last week. Cardinal Democrat from Maryland confirmed to reporters on Monday that Capitol Police had launched an investigation After the Daily Caller published a partially censored video on Friday that appeared to show two men having sex in a Senate hearing room. Posts on social media later alleged that the man was a staffer in Carton's office. I was angry. I was disappointed. It's a breach of trust, Carton said, adding that his office was absolutely cooperating with the Capitol Police investigation. It's a tragic situation and it presented a lot of anger and frustrated. I'm concerned about our staff and the way they feel about this, Carton continued. Over the weekend, when I learnt about it, I made sure the appropriate steps were taken. Carden, who is retiring after this term in May, refused to name the staffer under investigation by Capitol Police when pushed by reporters on Monday. He said the matter was a personal issue and that he had not spoken to the aide since the termination of his employment. Carden also declined to answer a question about how an aide would have access to a Senate hearing room. In a since-deleted statement posted to his LinkedIn account, the uh, perp or, or the person who was uh, taken and lost his job, Mace Sirovsky, twenty-four, uh, wrote that he had been attacked for whom I love to pursue a political agenda. He added, while some of my actions in the past have shown poor judgment. I love my job and would never disrespect my workplace. Mace Soropsky previously appeared in a 2020 presidential campaign video with Joe Biden. When contacted by the Daily Mail on Saturday, his mother Magdalena Riviera Mace said that his her son was distraught by the scandal. You don't know what He's doing, she said. The video was filmed in the Hart Senate office building, room 216. US media reports say the room has previously hosted high profile government hearings, including the 9 11 Commission and Supreme Court confirmation sessions. It really is a story and a bridge too far how anyone can think that you can explain the behaviour and the conduct away, particularly after, as we played on this show yesterday, Senator Cardin saying that the the building, the Capitol, uh, institutions that are beyond. approach. And he used that in relation to January 6. So now when the story turns back on him, he doesn't really have a long way to go. And what we're witnessing almost on a daily basis at the moment is the complete collapse of morality with those that are charged with telling us how to live our lives and becoming more increasingly authoritarian as they do so. And as scrutiny increases after the break, we'll look at vaccine performance. And we'll also look at the curious case of coercion and attempts to pretend that it wasn't. This Compass on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg.
5: Last week while campaigning in Iowa, Joe Biden was the topic of conversation for Donald Trump, and he wanted to make clear that everyone knew that Biden couldn't handle things cognitively. He can't put two sentences
1: together, he's running. Can't find his way off the stage. See all the stairs around here? How the hell do you not, where is the stair? He says, where is the stair? And he walks off the stage and he's like,
5: And Trump wanted to make sure that everyone knew that he had been found most competent.
1: I took a physical and I passed with flying colors and I took a cognitive exam. I said, doctor, give me anything you want. I want to take it. I think you actually, if you're running for president, I think you should be forced to take it. They say it's not constitutional. So instead of, uh, you know, look, we want, we love our constitution, but look what we have in office this guy cannot pass a cognitive exam true
5: words have never been spoken thanks for giving me a minute I'm Steve Malzburg catch my show Monday through Friday 9 p.m. Eastern time right here on TNT radio
4: I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez and normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires but given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood, as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov.
0: You're with Jason Olborn and Compass on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Welcome back. What I'd like to do now is look at what I call the curious case of coercion. Going back to the horrific period of 2021 and 2022 provides many with PTSD over whether they were forced to comply to keep their jobs and the wolves from their doors as they struggled to put food on the table, or for others, it was the exclusion. Like in 2021, for the period of October 1 to December 15th, residents of New South Wales who were unvaccinated were to remain in lockdown, whilst those willing to show an attendant at Kmart their private medical history were allowed to shop or go to a cafe. If a nurse was to fake her vaccine, therefore, why? I mean, why volunteer to be injected on camera on the evening news and attempt to deceive the viewer? Here is one such example where the nurse in question was caught out and had to go through the process again. A medical center nurse who received a questionable looking vaccine injection yesterday was given another one today, according to the hospital. KTSM showed you exclusive close up video last night. It looked like the person
0: administering the first shot didn't press down on the plunger of the syringe. UMC says it revaccinated that nurse today to remove any doubts and strengthen confidence in the vaccination practice. But the hospital did not offer an explanation
1: as to what exactly happened yesterday. Revaccinated the person in case of any doubt. So you're going to take two shots just to appease the viewer? Or do you admit that you never did it in the first place? What exactly did former Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk have or not have in this clip that begins where she's wearing the red dress. Because after that clip, you'll see she had a different jab that the media claimed was a COVID shot. But as Paul Murray pointed out, was not. And finally, within the clip, the ABC showed all senior Queensland health officials getting the jab, but still not immune to controversy. No pun intended. The premier explained that she had a choice of which brand to take, where others over 50, according to the federal chief health officer, could not. It? No, 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 no. Now, we pointed out to you on the show last night that uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk, who has had the ability to be vaccinated against coronavirus since February, has decided not to. Instead, she did take a jab today. Hold
2: on. Yep.
1: And the media tried to pretend that this was for coronavirus, that she was having a vaccine against coronavirus. So literally now you have the photo of her getting the jab. But here's the thing, it was for the flu. She didn't have the coronavirus vaccine, yet it didn't stop them printing those pictures and running those pictures on television tonight as if she had actually got a COVID shot. She even said it wasn't a COVID shot, yet they ran it anyway.
4: A lot of people are getting their flu shots first because we're coming into the flu season. So I'll be doing that and then I'll be getting my COVID vaccine.
3: Rolling up for duty.
4: Everyone ready? This is how easy it is.
3: The premier, her deputy, the tourism minister and chief health officer all received a COVID-19 vaccine today. All done. But Anastasia Palaszczuk wasn't immune
4: from questioning over why she had the Pfizer jab despite being over 50. I may be required to travel to Tokyo because of the timelines. The only way I can be and Sterling can be fully vaccinated is if we had received the Pfizer. But For average
0: citizens who are over 50 in the same similar situation who are travelling, what's their position? Uh, they'll, they'll be getting AstraZeneca.
1: They'll be getting AstraZeneca, although the Premier gets to take a choice of Pfizer if they were over the age of 50 back at the time. So an update, Zevria, the AstraZeneca vaccine and thrombosis with thrombocytopenia, TTS, is a rare syndrome that occurred officially in around two to three people per 100,000 who were vaccinated with the AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca, though, was made no longer available in Australia from the 21st of March, 2023. Meanwhile, a multi-million pound landmark vaccine damage case is set to take place in London's High Court, the test case being pursued by Jamie Scott, who suffered a severe brain injury in April of 2021 after receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine. Case being brought under the Consumer Protections Act argues that the AstraZeneca vaccine was less safe than consumers were entitled to expect. A key part of the argument is over the efficacy of the vaccine, which claimants argue was vastly overstated. AstraZeneca is defending the case and has denied its vaccine is defective in response to the multi-million pound legal case over claims the jab caused blood clots. The drugs firm is being sued in the High Court by a father of two who suffered a significant permanent brain injury after receiving it in April 2021. With at least 40 further claims for damages are expected to be lodged in the court within weeks, lawyers estimate the claims are worth about 80 million pounds. In its defence filed in the High Court, AstraZeneca, which is based in Cambridge, has argued that the claim is confused and wrong in law. In the defence filing, AstraZeneca said that the benefit the risk profile of the vaccine was and remained positive. It said the vaccine developed in conjunction with Oxford University was approved by the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency. So did the Premier make a conscious decision that one was safer than the other, despite protestations that Pfizer was required in case of an overseas trip? Or was she aware of something she should have made known to the public? Her argument provides her with the ultimate implausible deniability. Meanwhile, Dr. William Bay was suspended for not complying with APRA requirements, the body that oversees health practitioner regulations. He's just shared some information on his social media page that APRA, the body, has updated its rules that allows for doctors to speak out, at least at last. If you choose not to be vaccinated, the APRA document says you should consider how you protect your patients and the public from the risk of communicable diseases. You should also ensure that you are complying with relevant public health and employment requirements is vaccination a requirement for registration? Is another frequently asked questions that they've amended. The answer being vaccination against relevant communicable diseases is not a requirement for registration with your profession's national board. Registered health practitioners are entrusted to use their expertise and influence to protect and advance the health and well being of individuals, families, and communities. It says, if providing the information about vaccination or immunization, you are expected to use the best available evidence and participate in efforts to promote the health of communities. So, best available information. Plausible deniability is a very powerful tool of obfuscation. Perhaps we can consult the Director General of the World Health Organization for his thoughts on the COVID vaccine when he took it.
4: Ed Rose, thank you so much for taking the thank time to be with me. me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to ask you about your own vaccination. You got your first shot when? You know, still, I feel like I know where I belong, in a poor country called Ethiopia, in a poor continent called Africa, and wanted to wait until Africa and other countries in other regions, low-income countries, start vaccination.
2: So I was protesting, in
4: other words, because we're failing. The
1: Director General of the World Health Organization decided not to be jabbed because he was protesting. Okay, coercion is defined as the practice of persuading someone to do something by use of force or threats. Exclusion is a form of coercion because it forces isolation for non-compliance, which is a penalty. Here is a reminder of former Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews practising such a method to force vaccination. When the government's own slogan is, vaccination is your ticket, not taking a vaccination is to be left out. Premier made no apologies as he took aim at those yet to get the
2: jab. You won't wait out the virus because the virus will be here for a long time and your only protection against it is being vaccinated.
1: The premier has even flagged that those that aren't double vaccinated won't be able to attend major events like next April's Grand Prix here at Albert Park. But not everyone agrees. Why will we need a vaccination passport if 96 out of 100 people are double vaccinated? Fair point to the former opposition leader of the Liberal Party in Victoria. Now, faking having a vaccine or not taking one at all when you're promoting them, are they as bad as each other? Here is another video, this time of the Canadian Prime Minister and his wife, who is now separated from, receiving perhaps the COVID vaccine. Maybe. Not, however, the very small dose. Note, however, I should say, the very small dose in the syringes that both trudeau and his wife get as the nurse points out there are also many other red flags
3: okay this youtube clip shows you how you're actually supposed to deliver an im injection into the deltoid and you'll see that they landmark by cupping their hand over the top of the deltoid here are some news clips of people receiving a vaccine via im injection and notice how every single one of them they are landmarking sometimes they're not landmarking correctly but they are landmarking nobody is sitting back and sticking that vaccine in like it's a dart it just doesn't work that way look at this every one of them see that's the proper way to give it right there and also did you notice that they aspirated before they injected? okay so here's a close-up so look at this again Tell me, does that look like how any of them were administered in the other shots that I just showed you? Look, right in like a dart. Zero landmarking, nothing. She didn't aspirate either. Here we go again. Zero landmarking, jabbing it in one-handed, and no aspirating of the needle. She even goes to pull up her shirt sleeve before she gets her band-aid.
1: The question remains, what did they know that forced this behaviour to deceive the public but pretend that they didn't? Therefore, circling back to the information Dr Bay made available from APRA concerning the best available information, well, was it? When the federal government is pushing ahead with its misinformation laws, it's very clear to see why they are doing so to control this said best available information, because if you ban anything in dissent, there's only one form of information left available. Dr. Robert Malone has spoken out against mRNA after being involved in its invention. And of course he took the vaccine, trusting the science. However, fast forward and now Malone is speaking out against and asking who really is in control. Here's Malone now.
5: In true fifth generation warfare, you do not know who your opponent is. Example, who is responsible for who's the puppet master behind the COVID crisis as we've experienced it. Who is it? Anybody here know? Was it Klaus? No. There's something above Klaus. Was it Biden? Um, was it Tony Fauci? These are all surrogates. Okay. You don't really know who is managing the message that has been propagated on you. That's fifth generation warfare. Over the last three years, Western governments, non governmental organizations, transnational organizations, pharmaceutical industry corporations, media and financial corporations have cooperated via public private partnerships, which I assert is a euphemism for fascism, to deploy the most massive globally harmonized psychological and propaganda operation in the history of the world. Okay. Over the last three years, you have been subjected to the most massive, harmonized, globally coordinated propaganda campaign in the history of the Western world, full stop. With this campaign, the governments of many Western nation states have turned, okay, this is key military-grade, psychological operations, strategies, tactics, technologies, and capabilities developed for modern military combat against their own citizens. These are inconvenient facts. The world that many of us believed existed no longer exists if it ever did.
1: Meanwhile, the world's corporate sector has been hit by a wave of bankruptcies occurring at a double-digit pace unseen in decades the financial times reported on monday citing data from national statistics offices business insolvencies in the u.s saw a year-on-year surge of 30 percent in the 12 months through september while in germany the eu's biggest economy the number of reported bankruptcies increased by 25 percent from january to september compared to the same period a year ago across the eu the number of companies going bust grew 13 percent in the nine months to september year over year hitting an eight year high. And in October, France, the Netherlands and Japan saw the number of bankruptcies rising by more than 30% versus the same month a year ago. The OECD group of mostly wealthy states has recently reported that in some member states including Nordic nations, Denmark, Sweden and Finland, bankruptcy rates have exceeded levels reached during the 2008 global financial crisis. England and Wales also saw insolvencies reaching their highest level since 2009 in between January and September September of the current year. The trend has been strongly fueled by higher key rates, as well as self-liquidation of the so-called zombie firms, which had pulled through the COVID era only thanks to government support. Neil sharing Chief Economist at Capital Economics, told the Financial Times, massive government support schemes for companies and households during the pandemic have been largely withdrawn now while central banks have been repeatedly hiking the interest rates in attempt to tame spiralling inflation. According to the expert, the trend is expected to continue as many businesses will have to refinance debt at higher rates in the coming months, even if central bank rates rise, are forecast to have peaked. And renowned journalist and science fiction author Corey Dr O is convinced that the AI is doomed to drop off a cliff. Of course, AI is a bubble, He wrote in a recent piece for the sci-fi magazine Locus. It all has the hallmarks of a classic tech bubble, he wrote. Dr O likens the AI bubble to the dot-com crisis of the early 2000s when Silicon Valley firms started dropping like flies when venture capital dried up. It's a compelling parallel to the current AI landscape, marked by sky-high expectations and even loftier promises that stand in stark contrast to reality. But it's not all doom and gloom. Dr Rowe believes the situation isn't a zero-sum game and that once the dust settles, there may be some residual upshots that should drive meaningful technological progress in the future. Tech bubbles come in two varieties, the ones that leave something behind and the ones that leave nothing behind, Dr Rowe argued. Following the dot-com bubble popping, millions of young people were lured into the tech sector, creating an army of technologists. Similarly, the AI bubble may burst soon, but according to Dr O, it may leave something behind. AI is a bubble. And it's full of fraud, but that doesn't automatically mean there'll be nothing of value left when said bubble bursts, he wrote. The fraud of the cryptocurrency bubble was far more pervasive than the fraud in the dot-com bubble, so much that there, without the fraud, there's almost nothing left, he argued. Very interesting, isn't it, that you've got AI following the footsteps of cryptocurrency, which the government is trying to outlaw to bring in its CBDC, but it has no real problem with AI. It's the AI creators themselves, more or less the ones that are alerting to the problems that are coming up. It seems that government wants to not intervene when it should and intervene when it doesn't need to. And so it is that we reach the end of the uh, edition for today's compass we conclude that now and coming up next is chris smith this is jason olborne for compass here on tnt radio